0: COVID-19 has shone a light on indoor air quality, which has probably been ignored over many, many years. So there's a whole focus now
1: on quality of air. Hello there and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air, our regular look at how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace. On this episode, we're going to understand more about clean rooms and controlled environments. We hear a lot about them and today we'll hear exactly what they are, how they work and how they help us. My name is Dusty Rhodes. Joining me to explain more about this is control room expert Connor Murray, who is the principal consultant at Three Dimension and the current chair of the TC5 Healthcare Standards Committee, among others. A world Joined by Alan Sweeney, who has decades of experience in the area with Campville and is their current clean process segment manager in Europe. Connor, if I can go to you first, can you just explain to me what exactly is a clean room or a controlled environment?
0: I suppose without going into the standard definition, a clean room is, I suppose, what it says in the name it's a controlled environment. So, first of all, it's a room that is controlled in some ma- manner, which means it's got a three dimensional space. And you're trying to control the environment inside that space. That means things like standard items would be things like temperature, maybe humidity, uh, lighting levels, noise, the environment under which people work in or the process. But the particular emphasis on the clean room side is the indoor air quality, which we're familiar with in our home environment or an office environment. But in a clean room, we're looking at the number of particles. And we're really concerned about what we call the unseen enemy or invisible particles, which are very, very small. So it's a controlled environment of a space where you're controlling the environment and a number of the parameters in the environment. Why are we doing it? Because there's a risk of a failure of the product or ultimately the patient. So there's always a goal in creating a clean room. I hope that helps.
1: No, it does actually, because when I think clean room, I think of visible dirt. And what you're saying is it's not just visible dirt. It's the invisible stuff that you can't see to make sure that that's clean as well. Exactly. All right. What kind of industries use them? The industries
0: vary, very, very broadly. So, if you talk about where the original cleanrooms came from, they were driven by a necessity because they couldn't make products. So, for instance, optics, gyroscopes—they found that they were unreliable and f- failed. In a hospital environment, it was around infection control. So, patients got ill or died because of contamination coming from the people side of, it, in terms of surgeons. So if you if you take it all the way to the modern day you can things like everyone uses a mobile phone and they contain billions of transistors or electronic devices within those and what we call the line geometries or the separation between functions are so small they're microscopic that any level of contamination can cause a fault in that and there are billions of connections so it doesn't take more than a few connections to cause the pro- the fault to make the product fail so that's the modern version of that. But equally so, COVID-19 is a perfect example. It's a virus of around 0.1 of a micron. So it's it's something in the order of a hundredth of the size of what we can see. It fle- freely floats around in the air. And we're talking about the environments where the vaccines are made have to be ultra clean. So the product we're injecting into our arms is sterile and we don't get sick from a contamination in during the manufacturing and the vaccine does
1: its job. So let me ask you then what makes a controlled environment clean? I mean, how do you stop these contaminants from coming in?
0: Well, there's there's really two. The, the two formal ways are very simple. One is you make sure the air that comes into the controlled environment, clean room, is filtered. And I'll come back to that in a moment. And the other one is you're not bringing in the contamination either through materials, through people coming in or under wheels or people, and then you try and stop the generation well, going back to the first point, the fundamental part of a clean room is the filtered air. And that's where CAMFIL come in as the world leader in terms of air filtration. And we call, use the word HEPA filter as a high efficiency particle air filter and over. That will be more Allen's area. I'm sure you can talk a lot about that. But certainly I've been using CAMFIL for decades and they certainly would be the industry standard. And in what kind of facilities do you use them? It could be a compounding unit, could be an intensive care unit. It could be a manufacturing facility for microelectronics, like our, our TVs have LED panels, big flat screens. They, all the contamination control is done by HEPA filtration in those manufacturing. It goes all the way down to plastics, medical devices, uh, pacemakers that were using stents you know, as part of heart valves, replacement knee operations, hip operations, the compounds that go into those, the drugs that we we consume, even if they're oral, we, we would We need to make sure that the contamination is removed from the manufacturing space all the way into food. So we look at food and the life cycle or the preservative that goes into food is a contaminant on its own. Whereas if you can manufacture the food in a clean environment, the shelf life is increased and you get the quality of food that you want to eat, not the preservatives that's kept to maintain it.
1: Let me uh, bring in Alan from uh, Camphill. Alan, when we're talking about these kind of rooms, I mean, they're fairly high-end rooms. What kind of cost are you looking at to set them up?
2: Well, the cost is different depending on the operation and the number of air changes. But it's really the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning equipment that moves the air. Unfortunately, when moving the air, costs will be incurred because once you put a filter in an air stream or in a liquid stream, you create an impediment. That impediment is called a pressure or pressure drop. And the equipment has to overcome that pressure drop. So your fan is from the day it starts running burning energy. Mm -hmm. So it's important to get involved with Connor or with other experts in the field to ensure that you're using the correct amount of air, filtering it correctly, but at the lowest pressure possible. And that will alleviate high operation costs and high costs. So yes, it's expensive, but the other side of the coin is that if something goes wrong and you get a contaminated batch of product drugs, semiconductors, or even implants, the repercussions are very severe. So it's a balancing, it's an expensive operation, but there are a lot of means with eco-design to save on operating costs.
1: If anybody is using a clean room or any kind of controlled environment, it's obviously a mission critical part of their operation, whatever it is. When it gets to reliability then for these clean rooms and controlled environments, what kind of reliability percentages are you looking at?
2: A clean room's reliability is directly affected by the performance of the filters, the air changes. Periodic checks are done maybe every six months, some every month, at least once a year. The operation is shut down, tested, validated, cleaned, et etc. et cetera. So reliability, once it's kept under a well-maintained uh, criteria, is, is phenomenally high, if I'm honest. In my opinion, yes, we have failures on occasion. There are shutdowns on occasion, like any industry. But it's typically due to something that's caused an error. Or a lack of a good maintenance regime, my opinion.
1: So, when you're looking at the effectiveness of one of these rooms, the kind of results that you would hope to expect is like 99.9% effective or something like that. Do we get up into that kind of a range?
2: We can, depending on the class of clean room. And also, depending on, as Connor said, it's not just the filtered air going into the room, but what's being generated in the room. Are the machines and the operators well-dressed and protected to stop any particle migration into the room? Is there a lot of movement? Is it controlled movement in the room? So the operation of personnel and, and production equipment is critical in maintaining the class of the room. As Filtration is critically important, but operations and the use of the room has a huge effect on us.
1: There's so many different things to go into these. I, I often look at airplanes and the thousands and thousands of systems go into that that to, to make them work. Clean rooms, I'm sure, are similar in many ways. Um, Connor, can I ask you about clean rooms because there's different scales and different uses. How are they classified and validated?
0: So <clears throat> there are there is a, a series of standards which we call ISO one four six four four. And there's various dashes for the different elements of the clean rooms. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we're up to dash 19 currently. So that's a lot of different types of standards for different types of clean rooms, because in the overall scheme of things, we're looking at a clean room and we're looking at various contaminants, the primary one being particles that can cause a product failure or risk to a patient, both in air or settling on surfaces. So you've almost got a matrix between air and surfaces and the contaminants can either be particles, microorganisms, chemicals, and we've also introduced in the last 10 years nanoparticles which behave almost like a gas and also macroparticles because microorganisms travel generally on skin flakes. So we've a number of those ones which is the reason we've got so many different types of standards but the fundamental standard is dash one. On the classification of a clean room, which you must classify by airborne particles to start. But just to add, I suppose, in a way to your question to Alan on reliability, there's two key things in a clean room. One is you need to establish control. And part of the filtration is part of establishing control. And the other one is you need to demonstrate control. So in a way, the reliability is almost, almost 100% because either you have a failure or it works. So you're very, very high levels. And the expensive part of a clean room is in planned preventative maintenance. So you do an auto, a number of these checks. So we have a number of the standards, like the 14.644-2 is on monitoring of clean rooms, primarily on particles. So you can't just build a clean room and then expect it to continue to run. You need to intervene. And we normally recommend um, either automatic controls to measure the quality of the clean room, or you do it on a periodic basis. And the higher the greater clean room, and Alan alluded to this earlier on, the highest grade we would typically call iso-3 or iso-5, which would be equivalent to what we require for a sterile environment for manufacturing very high quality intravenous drugs where you're injecting them directly into the body. And the body doesn't have any further filters than that. So when we eat something, we we have various acids and otherwise in our stomach if we breathe them in we've various filters in our system before it gets to the bloodstream what's interesting is the primary engineering control is where the product or the patient is most at risk and that's where you put the most amount of money and that's where your highest level of standard is but we also use the principle of an onion when you've layers of controls before you get to the primary engineering control and i i use a lot of the word a swiss cheese approach that you may have holes in the Swiss cheese, but if you have enough layers in the Swiss cheese, it doesn't get through. And that's a perfect example if we bring it back to ground zero at the moment. On COVID-19, we're talking about social distancing, we're talking wearing face coverings, we're talking washing your hands frequently, not touching other things, staying outdoors. They're all the Swiss cheese approach. They don't guarantee you won't get it, but they, they mitigate against the obvious getting or super spreading events associated with it. So that's where the context of these come in and standards. It also brings you into harmonization. So if you have an ISO 5 clean room in in China or in the US or Ireland or Germany or Thailand or Australia, then you have an expectation of what you'd expect to see in that ISO 5 environment. And fundamentally, you expect to see a lot of HEPA filters. So it's a way internationally of understanding a common expectation Both of the design and also the maintenance and demonstrating control on an ongoing basis.
1: Okay, let me go back to Alan. How are these rooms then measured and how are they validated? Who says, I've done this test, therefore it's ISO 5, as Connor was describing?
2: Well, as Connor said, there could be automatic equipment in the rooms performing continuous particle counting, or alternatively, either biannually, annually, or semi every two years, an independent, and the word independent is important validation company will come in, test the various containment barriers, test the airlocks, and make sure that the room is performing as it's expected to perform. And for me it's critically important that this either the equipment they use is very well validated or it's an independent test company. You don't want uh, uh, Joe Bloggs who's built it for you, testing it for you, et cetera, unless the equipment is is independently validated and it's a it's a it's a quality operation. So it's really either automatic particle counting or periodic sh- shutdown and testing as required. sorry if i could just
0: add to what alan has said there what what is critically important as he as he said that it that part of the expense of the clean room is what we call the opex the operational cost to ensure it's demonstrated in control so there's a number of 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 clean room societies of which i'm chairman of the irish cleanroom society which they work to provide education and supporting vendors like Campbell in the industry so we would have certified programs For testing companies or testing individuals who test clean rooms. So they're tested against, and the standard they're tested against clean room is the ISO 14644-3, which is measurement methods. So you've got a measurement method, including calibration, how to do various tests. And then the people who are doing the testing have to be experienced and certified and accredited. So the whole industry is all around getting to the stage where you're trying to ensure you, you protect the patient, the product. So it's not far off the nuclear. Type approach, which is even more expensive than clean rooms are, but it is at the end of the day. There's either a product failure, which if my mobile phone fails, it's not a major problem because I can't text or social media. But if I'm top on top of a mountain, I've just broken my leg and I need to call in an ambulance, then it does become mission critical. But if if I'm I'm in an ICU and I'm recovering from COVID nineteen and I have breathing problems. And I've got a drug to help me breathe better and stay alive, then the quality of that product to protect me as a patient is very, very important. Hmm. So clean rooms can be very personal. It could be your sister, your mother, your aunt, your daughter, or in my case, my grandchildren. So they're really, really important. And that's that brings us around that you must establish control and then demonstrate control. And that's testing and measurement by competent people with the common objective of protecting the product for
2: reliability for a patient. And competent and qualified is important. Anybody can buy a scalpel, it doesn't make you a surgeon.
1: You mentioned, Connor, that you were the chairman of the Irish Clean Room Society. Um, from a, an overview point of view, what do you think are the key challenges faced by these environments?
0: Well, the key challenge is you're trying to not bring in particles or contamination into a space. So to some extent, the HEPA filter is fundamental to that, but is also the simplest way of doing it because it's the filter that's th- that prevents the air any particles coming into the room. The real practical issue is people. And I mean that in a nice way because mm. people generate probably 80% of the contamination and you might have an automatic filling line, but then if you have a problem and you have an intervention by somebody, that's when you have a risk of contamination being transferred onto the product. So the challenges today are really around people. The second challenge really is around managing the clean room operation to be as efficient and as effective as possible. So clean rooms are getting bigger at higher, at, a, at lower classes, and they're getting getting smaller at the higher end classes. So we're into containment, we're into isolators, and also education. So, and we've also got to how do we bring in robotics? So there's a big tr- drive towards AI, bringing in robotics, but trying to Allow people to stay out of clean rooms and, and more and more you're having things like, um, cameras. So the, and you can imagine part of reliability is that I'm sitting having a glass of wine in La Rochelle with my family and a problem occurs in a clean room. And I tell the guy to put a GoPro on his helmet and or on his bunny suit and go into the clean room, show me around, let me look at some data here. Hold on, pull my laptop out look at the data stream, oh, go up to the plant room, valve number 42 on the screen has failed. So it's either a failure in the HVAC support systems as in heating, ventilation, and air conditioning and filtration, or it may be an operational issue, or maybe looking at the microbiological data that's coming out of the the environment. And the wonders today of AI and modern technology is it allows us to get to there very quickly. And that's why Mm. there's a coincidence of technologies, including things like 5G, which allows me even to be on a catamaran in the middle of outside La Rochelle, getting a quick phone call and a guy sends me a screenshot of a possible issue. Which should I do first? And I can say, Hey, you need to do this first and then this. And then wait, like I go back in, have my glass of wine. Now show me the recording on GoPro. Now go in a bit like the scalpel. The intelligence is around where to use the scalpel and how to use it. That's where the clean room challenge coming in is bringing older clean rooms up to speed and applying the right level of technology and not being over the top. So you can have clean rooms which are too big, too much air. They need to be appropriate and it's around measuring the quality of air and how it is doing in relative to product quality, reliability and ultimately patient safety.
1: There's a lot of technology involved and also, you know, I'm just thinking you've got the aircon element, you've got the heat element, you've got the ventilation element. Alan, with all of this equipment that we're using to keep rooms clean, is energy cost a concern?
2: Yes, energy cost is a huge concern in the industry and has been for many years. And um, We're lucky in that on the supplier units, the air handling units that would protect the HEPA filters. As Connor said, the HEPA will be the last line of defense there typically in the ceiling. The air is then supplied by air handling units up in the plant room. The filters in those air handling units are typically certified under Eurovent standards. And we've got a Eurovent 421 standard, which will actually... Grade the filter according to its energy consumption. So you can choose the correct filter. It's a bit bit similar to buying a washing machine or a computer. It'll have a label A, B, C, D, E. And you can choose a filter with the lowest energy consumption to ensure that at least whilst your equipment is running, you're using as low a pressure and as little energy as possible. So, yes, it's a concern. And again, as Connor said, older clean rooms that may have been designed with things like very high air changes to achieve good, considered good cleanliness classes inside by changing lots of air. relooking at those designs with Connor and other experts' help and looking at how little air can mm-hmm. be moved to maintain that class will again cut on energy consumption. But you've got to do it within the standards and adhering to the standards, but energy savings can be made.
0: So if I can just add to what Alan said, Dusty, the, the ISO 14644-16 is specifically around guidance around energy efficiency in clean rooms both as part of design and as part of operations and reviews. I did say we dash 19 at the present time so that's one of the many dashes that gives guidance to industry on how to apply standards and harmonisation on a worldwide basis.
1: We've been talking very much about the high end of life with clean rooms and, and highly controlled environments. From what you guys know Would you have any kind of general principles that people should be thinking about um, with protecting general buildings, especially in the light of COVID?
2: We're seeing a lot of legislation around Europe in certain countries where they're looking at carte blanche implementing HEPA filters into buildings. It is a good idea. It can introduce extra pressure drop. There are requirements that have maybe framework changes, etc. A HEPA Mm. filter does not use the same framework as a regular particle filter for an air handling unit. So there is an increasing reliance on HEPAs to protect people in indoor environments. In some Mm. cases, it's a great idea. In other cases, it might... require a complete rework or rebalancing of a complete system. So it's not as easy as it might say. It's not, a, not, it's not as, as, as simple as it might appear at, at first instance. Using things like mobile air cleaners, again, bringing HEPAs inside the buildings and maybe polishing the air is another option. And that's been quite successful in a lot of industries and, and a lot of uh, applications. But definitely the, the, the use of HEPAs and trying to make not a clean room but a cleaner environment is becoming much more necessary with our current uh, crisis, um, and it is definitely possible. But again, just carte blanche trying to drop a HEPA into an existing system will not work in all cases because of the repercussions on pressure and design. So just be careful. Uh, expert advice, if possible.
0: So, from my from my perspective, it's interesting. The COVID nineteen has shone a light on indoor air quality, which has probably been to a large extent, ignored over many, many years. And the interesting part of indoor air quality is that some of the contaminants are not necessarily particles. So we're, we're clear of the obvious ones. If somebody has asthma and you've got pollen, you end up having it outside in the air and then brought it into the house. But you've also things like chemicals. And there's, there's a big trend now to remove plasticizers out of PVC, uh, chemicals used chemical agents in sprays, So there's a whole focus now on quality of air inside a room as well as inside the house. And it's becoming much more personal, never mind an industrial application. But when we talked about HEPA filters, we talked about them being used, more of them being used, the higher the greater clean room. But clean rooms are also getting bigger and broader and, and wider applications. Examples would be things like plastics. And I'm talking about medical plastics where you've large areas, surface areas. It's coming into other areas in terms, you mentioned data centers. Now they're less involved in data centers now than they would have been originally. And that's mainly because of the, of the type of the way the chips are protected in a way. But there's an increasing number of, of clean rooms being used and particularly in terms of food applications. Right. And you've also think called nutraceuticals, which is coming around beauty products. That are put on the skin so there's a kind of and you look at space applications there's many many areas that we're looking at where they they have applications including things like credit cards from visible contamination because of static control so it's a so the clean room environment is dominated by particles but there's other contaminants in it it's a very big industry sector it's very important in this country because we're probably looking at the huge generation of gdp between microelectronics ICT, and pharmaceuticals and we're viewed as a safe pair of hands. And that's part of the cost of a clean room is de- establishing control and demonstrating control. So energy efficiency is way we need to manage the cost of them from an operational viewpoint. And with the indoor air quality is, and COVID has raised awareness of the importance of air quality in the home and outside the home and in the industry and clean rooms.
1: Well, there's a huge amount in it, obviously, but I think both of you have given us a really, really good overview, so I'll leave it there and thank you both for that. Uh, Connor Murray from 3Dimension and Alan Sweeney from Camphill, thank you. If you'd like to find out more about this, just follow the links in the show notes which you will find in the description of this podcast on your smartphone or whatever device you're listening to us on right now. Our podcast was produced by Camphill, a world leader in the development and production of air filters and clean air solutions. To Stay up to date on how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace. Do click follow on your podcast app right now so that you get our next show automatically. Until then, from myself, Dusty students thank you as always for listening and take care.